Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. We're going to be spending a good day to today's show, looking forward to some of the sporting events going on over the weekend here at Second Captains at the Irish Times. Cork Dublin in the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final. The World Athletics Championships and Tiger hoping to take his form into the US PGA. But there is a world outside sport, lads. What? It's a rather strange world at times. That's why I, I tend not to spend too much time in it all. Well, Murph, I stumbled across some information on the Puck Fair this week. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a huge event held every year in Calorglan, County Kerry. Don't yeah. ask how I got there, but I stumbled across it. It's in Calorglan in County Kerry. This is from the discoverireland.ie website. <laughs> Puck Fair is Ireland's oldest festival. Fair enough. It is completely unique as the only festival in the world which takes a wild mountain goat from the local mountain range and makes him king of the town for three days and nights. Yeah, have you not heard of the I Puck have, Fair? In I Florida? have heard of it, but I just love the way that they describe that they feel the need to make everyone aware this is unique. Well, yeah, that's the, that's Lord the, is the only USP. place that this particular. Well, you thing don't happens. know. I mean, the the goat is a you know it's a very worshipped animal finished, around the world. This, well, but it usually yeah. represents evil. Uh, I mean, in our culture, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a satanic. I have to say that when I see a goat, my first thought isn't "there goes the four the devil goats in, of the in, apocalypse." In there yeah. is also a this. I continue. There is also a parade and a crowning ceremony where the Queen of Puck, traditionally a local schoolgirl, crowns the goat king of the town for the next four days. But is he <laughs> king in a in a yeah. in a real sort of sense with executive power or? Or a yeah, more he, makes all, no, he makes all the decisions. He can pa- that goat passes laws in Calorglan. It's not just a. If you want to commit a crime around Calorglan, this could be the time because this new goat I hear is quite liberal. This <laughs> he's got a very laissez-faire attitude towards policing. Report on sport, I hear you say. Usain Bolt is expected to cruise another major championship medal, especially if some of his key rivals miss out because of doping offences. The event is in a little bit of trouble today, though. We've got one of the greatest sprinters of all time to talk to us about this. Donovan Beatty, Olympic champion in 96, world champion in the two years either side of that. world, The last world record holder before Usain Bolt, not tainted by drugs. Right. I'm very interested to see what kind of a personality he has as well, Murph, because in our previous experience with sprinters, Otto Bolden was rather a confident mm. man. 
he was outgoing. I've, we've yeah. yet to interview Maurice Green or Linford Christie, but the stories are legion of these guys being Christie, especially when he used to take the the old um, the what? shoulders off the leotard or Ex- whatever you or the other way around. Yeah, just walk around intimidating everyone with his massive muscles. Linford Christie, though, as a personality, I, I think maybe lacks a little warmth. Yeah, Maurice Green is a possibly a warmer guy, but he used to go around just growling at people. Yeah. I actually heard Donovan Bailey talking about this recently on a BBC program. Just Maurice Green going and literally howling, growling, just in the setting up for the race to absolutely intimidate them. So we'll see if Donovan Bailey is a, a bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> or, if he's going, if he's going to try and intimidate you, is that is that what you're worried about? Tiger Woods allowed the world a rare glimpse of his human side after winning the World Golf Championships last week. I don't know if you saw this. He was yeah, cradling, did, yeah. cradling his son in his arms after winning, and then boring everyone with stories of his kids during the press conference, just like parents do, Ken. Mm. Well, that's, that's what you do. I mean, but we're they surprised. take up all your time and, you yeah. know, you're proud of them. No one else cares about them. No, not really, no. Um, I mean, in a general sense, we do, but in a specific sense. No. You know, so all parents walks. do this. It's just interesting that Tiger Woods, anytime Tiger Woods does anything that other humans do, yeah, it's, it's to- quite interesting. Total PR exercise. To That's the, imme- the first thing you immediately think. Oh, there's Tiger Woods behaving like a human. Yeah, and I feel a bit bad about it because how how crass. I don't know. <laughs> you see the little kid being just running in Tiger's direction, and there's no way you can fake that smile. This is a smile of a yeah. proud father. Yeah, the guy yeah. is delighted and straight away. Oh, PR. <laughs> Which and maybe, the kid as well. The kid is genuinely hugging his oh, dad, kid. and you know there's love there. There's, yeah. It's you know the four year old is not going to be able to you know have been taken aside by the Nike PR apparatchiks and told right now, Charlie, uh, if you can just <laughs> stop eating that sweet for one second, we've got some very important things to discuss here. You run out to your dad. Yeah, no, I, I don't really see that happening. Dublin can knock Cork off top spot of GA Jewel Counties this weekend. Murph yep. Alter and journalist Chrissy O'Connor and Mark Landers. Captain of the Cork All Ireland winning team in '99 are going to talk to us about that All Ireland semi final. We'll also chat to Donegal's Mark McHugh, who well, yeah, has had quite an eventful season. Yeah, I mean, if Donegal have had an eventful season, then Mark McHugh has been at the centre of most of those events, uh, knocked out uh, and picked up a, a really outrageous collection of uh, injuries in the one uh, incident after five minutes. You were about to say final. hilarious, but I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just uh, uh, hilarious, not in the hilarious sense. Yeah, but in the extraordinary sense, sense. as you yeah, have exactly. already. But uh, yeah, I mean, really extraordinary. And uh, he uh, obviously came back in time just about for that uh, horrendous hammering that they took at the hands of uh, Mayo last Sunday. Let's start by talking to a legend of track and field, former Olympic champion Donovan Bailey, is ready to chat ahead of the World Athletics Championships. Donovan, thanks so much for talking to us on the show. Hope you're in good form. Oh, well, I'm in, I'm in great form. I'm in, uh, enjoying a nice. Um a nice, cloudy uh, British summer afternoon. Yeah, you've had a bit of sunshine anyway, <laughs> so you can't, it was never going to last all summer, Donovan, I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware. Listen, we're a few days away from the World Championships, if you were still competing, if I can get you just to imagine that you're going in there, you're one of the favourites, you're probably the favourite for the event, what are you doing to get mentally prepared at this stage of the week? You know what, I think that um, what most athletes are, what I would have been doing uh, now, what most athletes who are favored to win right now, favored to, to, to win the event right now are doing is, is, um, is really just getting to the basic routine of, of, of just resting and relaxing and, and, and therapy and, and um, you know, things that, um, anything that really keeps your mind at ease. I mean, I, there's no, there's no, ma- there's definitely no major training. Uh, there's no, None of those things are happening right now. You are really just uh, preparing, getting out every day and uh, staying healthy and, and being physically, uh, mentally and psychologically prepared. Is the idea that when you, get to, when you get to the starting blocks and you get to the start line, you 
if you feel you're the best, which you would have done going into these sort of events, as long as you don't make any mistakes, you can allow the other people around you to do that for you. Other people might start dropping off. They might try that little bit too hard. They might try to do something different. If you just keep your calm and do what you do, you're going to win. Yes. Well, that's really what it's about. I think that um, when you are favored, you definitely um, want to be able to not panic and, uh, and not think about anything else that's what's going on. Um, ultimately, you should have prepared yourself uh, for, I mean, you spend practice and practicing every day is what helps you prepare for, uh, for uh, a world championships. So, um, yeah, you should be mentally and physically prepared. And, and now it should be really just uh, trying to maintain composure. Uh, looking forward to that, that first, the first time you hear the gun. Did you have any particular methods or tricks to psych out your opponents? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I think that my mere presence really did that. I mean, I was one of the bigger sprinters, bigger, stronger, uh, muscular sprinters um, that competed. Um, so the fact that I was there and the fact that they all knew that, that I, I, I was always prepared for big competitions, uh, that alone did it. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, maybe Usain Bolt has that advantage now because all he has to really show up and, and a lot of people are scared. Donovan, did you, the doping issue is clearly a huge one now, especially with the Safa Pal and Tyson Gay and the other Jamaican sprinters and their positive tests. Would you have seen that during your career as another sign of weakness of an opponent, a guy you might have been up against quite regularly, they test positive or you have suspicions about them? Would you just think, well, that's another another chink in their armor that they feel the need to do this? Absolutely. I always felt that way. I mean, if you... If you decide that you were going to go and, and, and be a drug cheat, it just means that, uh, you know, that, you know, you're, you're mentally, uh, you're, you're mentally extremely weak and you're psychologically extremely weak and, 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 and probably very insecure. So, uh, that's something that, uh, that, that, that I was always, it was always laughable when you, when you, when you're competing with someone, especially after. Uh, they've uh, they've tested positive and they serve their sentence and come back. So you understand now that they're they're someone who's definitely physically uh, physically might be strong, but but you know that it's uh, it's something that uh, you know mentally that you can you can break them anytime. This idea of them coming back, Justin Gatlin is one who's of course come back and been successful after a ban. Would you be angry that you're having to compete against these guys who've been shown to have been cheats and could potentially still have some of the physical benefits of that cheating? Well, not at all. I mean, I think that uh, the the if you're competing against someone, um, you know, you don't really, you shouldn't really be thinking about your opponent. That's that's the first thing because uh, track and field is an event where it's singular, so it's like it's like it's like golf. You can't really think about what your opponent's doing, and ultimately, you can't really think about uh, governing the sport because the responsibility of of that is. Um, is the IWF and, and it's uh, World Anti-Doping Association, and they seem to be doing a good job doing that. So your responsibility should never be attempting to police the sport. As an analyst now and as a fan of the sport looking at it, does it make you angry now? What was your reaction, I should probably ask you, when you heard the Tyson Gay and Asafa Pell story come out? Well, I was surprised, actually. I mean, I mean, it doesn't, these things don't anger me. I mean, I was, I was probably more, uh, more surprised than... And probably disappointed because, uh, you know, Tyson and Asafa are two have been two very good uh, sprinters, uh, have, have been two great ambassadors of track and field, 
and of course two really nice guys so um you know and and, and it's so so it's kind of sh- surprised and shocked me that that they were um you know that they they allowed you know you know someone to kind of get in their um get in their entourage and you know and and they themselves uh, get caught up in this thing so well, why do you I was actually quite surprised why do you think people allow them allow that to happen to themselves how do you think guys who are smart guys and um you say nice guys how do they allow themselves to be caught cheating you know what um i i just think that it's um i think it's just basic trust that's really what it is i think that uh, you know you have you have people that you know that they sell themselves very well and uh, and what you have is athletes who are, who are focused i'm sure that Asafa was focusing on on um, on uh, on, on uh, getting back to proper health, and I'm sure that Tyson was focusing on the World Championships, where uh, you know he he had a very stellar year. So uh, what happened? He took his eye off the ball, maybe, uh, and and uh, and someone that you trust, uh, you know, is really not reliable. Is it not part that, of? That, yeah, is it not part of the athletes? Uh, almost mission statement to surround themselves with the right people could should you be critical of them for choosing the wrong people for putting their faith in in people and this is their side of the story anyway these two athletes feel that they've been let down by others and that's what they're saying is is that is that no, just listen, as bad yeah. i the the it's 100% the athlete's responsibility it doesn't matter what what the ramific- it doesn't matter what the excuse is or, or what the cause of it is. 100% of the responsibility falls on the shoulder of the athlete. So, I mean, so, so I just want to make that very clear. Mm. It doesn't matter what, 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 what the excuses are, you know, or the cause. Uh, because uh, it's you, you as the athlete um, have a contract with your federation or with the IAAF or, and with the IAAF. And, you know, there's a list of banned substances that's available to any athlete 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, 365 days a year. And it's your responsibility to make sure that you know exactly what's on and what what isn't. And uh, one of the great things that Usain said uh, last week when he competed here in England is that is that um, whatever the list is, he he's very cognizant of that. And, and I... When I competed, it was very much the same way. I mean, you, you know, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, you don't have to, to, to you don't have to be taking uh, any supplements, but at least be aware that if you go someplace and some over-the-counter energy drink or something that's being sold, you know, you can't have it because it might have something in there that uh, that might be illegal. So it's still your responsibility, regardless. The reason I thought that you might be angry about this kind of thing, Donovan, is that after you broke the world record and in between you and Bolt, the world record holders in between have all either tested positive or been linked in some way to drugs. And all of this drags down the uh, the faith that people have in the sport and particularly in the event, in, in the 100 metres. And I, I don't know if, this, if you found this to happen, but people might look back at your performances and start doubting you, which wouldn't be fair because you didn't have any, uh, any drug issues going on there. But is, is there any a grain of truth to that, that the whole sport is dragged down and somebody like yourself who is successful in it, people start asking questions about you? Not really. I mean, I'm not really worried about it. Frankly, it actually makes me proud because one of the things... 
one of the things uh, that 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 um, you know that that I I, I completely um, want to point out uh, is that uh, you know I'm I'm proud of my record. Uh, you know um, I didn't run as fast as I wanted to or felt I I could have. Uh, the only person that that I mean I'm right now um, there's only. Two world record holders, uh, myself and Usain Bolt. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think that um, that's a bad uh, status to be to be in. <laughs> I mean, mm. so no, I, I, I think that the other athletes, whether they linked or not linked, I don't know what their training regimens are and what they did. But um, I'm quite proud of, of, of being someone that uh, trained properly, did it right. I have no problem speaking about it every single day. And I'm very happy to observe Usain doing amazing things as one of, uh, you know, doing legendary things on the track. I mean, if he, you know, so, so, I, and I have no issue being being associated with him as, uh, you know, of the last, I guess, uh, the last few men. Uh, the only two uh, world records uh, has been mine or his. Is it fair, do you think, t- for sports fans to look at Usain Bolt? and ask themselves the question and just wonder, is anything untoward going on there? Just given the track record of some of his fellow countrymen and the sport that he competes in. There's, of course, there's zero evidence against him, so it would seem on the face of it not to be fair. But because of other things that have happened, do you think that it is okay for people to ask questions? Yes. I mean, listen, unfortunately, um, when you are the number one sprinter in the world, uh, when you, it means that you're the number one ambassador for track and field. So unfortunately, uh, you know, although I have an unblemished track record, I was asked about uh, all of my all of my competitors that that were guilty of taking drugs, and 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 just and just just as I get the accolades uh, and all the the titles and and and, and endorsements and, and and so forth as the best sprinter in the world at the time, I re- I ha- also had to answer some of the questions for my um, other insecure track teammates. And, and I think that Usain, uh, unfortunately, you know, he gets the accolade of being the number one guy in the world and, uh, you know, being, you know, being number one sprinter, legendary things on the track. He unfortunately has to answer for some of, uh, some, of the other, some of the athletes who, who have been guilty. One of the great things, and one of the things I completely and totally respect about the press conference that he had here at the anniversary games in London was that the drug question was brought up, it was asked, and Usain knocked it out of the park. He just said, listen, here's who I am, here's what I did. Uh, you know, uh, you know I don't, I'm very clean, um, you know, and tomorrow I'm going to race. So let's focus on the good things that are happening on the track and not what uh, you know, other people might or might not have done. Yeah, that's, it, it, you mentioned the word insecurity there, that some of the people you ran against were insecure. Is that what you think is the root cause of people continuing to cheat in this way, that they're insecure about their own ability or whatever it might be? Well, insecurity is one. I mean, and clearly there's any, and unfortunately, you know, being a banker, uh, you know, being a former banker, I think that investment banker, I think that, the unfortunate thing is that is that uh, anytime there is a lot of money at stake, people are going to cheat. And and uh, uh, whether they're insecure or secure, I think that they're insecure. 
Uh, people are going to cheat anytime that there's there's money or some sort of uh, fame at stake. So so you, you so what do you do? You weed out uh, all those people and and uh, and you and you celebrate um, the 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 accolades of of the of the good people. Yeah, we might have to do another program again on the banking world, Donovan. <laughs> no, might be a separate program entirely. I think it'd be the same thing. It'd be the same. I'm going to give it the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just lastly, you seem very enthusiastic still about the sport, and I know you're still working on it and watching it with great interest. Have you not? Have you managed to stop negative thoughts creeping into your own thought process? Will you be watching the heat, watching the semifinals, watching the finals with great excitement, or any sense of negativity? I always watch track and field with great excitement. I mean, there's, there's, there's my See, yeah, there's there's no way I'd watch it and and you know, and be be disturbed by what I see. Um, the job of the IWF and the World Anti-Doping Association is to is to set penalties. First of all, set standards, set penalties, uh, and set penalties, um, and, and also govern the testing uh, for all athletes. So, um, so I would never watch. Any uh, any track and field event, and and think about the policing of the event. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility really is at this point to be a great analyst, uh, and 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 to be a, and to be a, a, a great fan of the sport. And and I think that um, there are great and incredible stars that are born every day. And and my job is to make sure that uh, that I'm there to celebrate and speak about the great things that some of these kids are doing. And you believe in Usain Bolt, Donovan, just lastly. Well, I do. I mean, I'm saying to you, there's no other reason for me not to. I, you know, I, I, can, I can take a man uh, for his word, and, and that's really, you know, what, uh, what you, you must live by. So, so ultimately, I, I think that I've, I've seen Usain compete for me was, my God, for me was probably 14, um, you know, and, he's, and he was doing crazy things at uh, 13, 14, 15 years old. You know, he's definitely a special, special talent. And I continue to see that now. So, I mean, I've been seeing this for a long time. So, so yeah, I mean, I have, I have no other reason not to believe. Okay. Donovan Bailey, enjoy the World Championships. And it's great to talk to you on the program. Thanks so much for giving us the time today. Not a problem. Thank you. Donovan Bailey there. I'm sure he surprised you, Ken, by telling you that he used to work in the banking trade, a stockbroker before he became an athletics legend. I'm not surprised necessarily by that. A very macho atmosphere. A lot, of, a lot of athletes here work in the bank. Gaelic, yeah, Gaelic, Gaelic games. Football. Not so much anymore, though. Well, he did say that if he was to have a conversation with us about the banking industry worldwide over the last number of years, it wouldn't be a totally different conversation to the one we actually just had there. <laughs> well, I mean, you're drawing a link there between one of the drawing, running and, yeah. and banking that I, I don't think Donovan would be comfortable with. Though. We are joined by Mark McHugh to talk about what was a fairly incredible season, not for the right reasons for you, Mark. We do appreciate you chatting to us after the defeat last weekend. I've heard sports people say in the past that in ways, one-point victories, one-point defeats, I should say, are a little bit more difficult to handle because you're wondering about that little whatever it was that you left out there. When you suffer a heavy defeat, as you guys did on Sunday, is that actually easier to process? You know, if you're, if you're saying that, uh, you know, the, the small, the, the closer defeats, but uh, the last few days, just, you know, been just going around, growing around my mind, most of the boys, just what, what happened and what went wrong for some day, because just, 
you know, you just we got a humiliation. That's basically the word we we got, and you know, we're bitterly disappointed. But um, you know, as I said, there's we're not we're not that we're not that old yet. There's a lot of boys in there around 24, 25, 26, and hopefully, you know, we've we've another few years left yet. Was there much said in the dressing room afterwards amongst the players? I don't know. It was just it, it was you know it was just like a, a, any any dressing room after a, a defeat. It was we were. Um, you know, we we're we we're, we're just kind of we're just trying to figure out what exactly happened because um, it just didn't go to plan at all for us. You know, we we thought fully that we we're you know well well prepared going into the match. We've we'd everything right, and it just it just didn't click for us in the day. And um, you know, we're going to you know look back and see see what happens next year. But as I said, life goes on, and you know we've club championship now the the week after next. So that's what we've got to focus for now. Have you come up with any answers as to what happened? No, I can't think about it yet. You know, it's, the, more, the more you think about it, I'm just um, uh, I probably watched the game this evening. Maybe I didn't even haven't haven't sat down to watch it. I watch it. You know what 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 we can say about it. You know, it's, did you? I sp- maybe the the better question is: in the was anything different about the lead up? Had you had a bit of the the stuffing knocked out of you losing to Monaghan in yeah, Ulster? We, we we kind of thought you know that was a wake up call and you know that, that we we we, got, we were lucky that we, we got the wake up call when we we're still in the championship and then you know the boys the boys really you know they upped the, up the performance and against Leash and, and you know I was watching that game and you know they came through it the, the defensively we were a lot we were a lot sounder and um, you know just the balls was back in the dressing room and then the whole week leading up to my old game you know it was just we Alec we felt we felt well prepared you know and. I wasn't I wasn't doing much training now because of the injury and everything, but um you know, everybody seemed in good form and just said it just didn't click for us last Sunday. Mark, you did well, it must be said, to be on the pitch yourself after the it's been a miserable season for you, I guess, after yeah. the really bad injury in the in the Ulster final. Firstly, what's your member of that incident itself? I I don't remember anything from the match at all. Hey, I I'd watch I'd watch it back and on television the, the fall the following Wednesday because I was in hospital until the Tuesday and didn't see it, but uh, everybody was telling me it was just it was a bad shot. But I couldn't I couldn't remember a thing from the game at all. Last thing I remember was um, warming up out in the field just beforehand and uh, just uh, my, my my total memory went blank. And uh, she said it was it was disappointing now to uh, to get the injury, but um, I worked hard now. Uh, you know on on the ice bath I had to pull up another Kenny and there's to hide the pull and slide going, I can kind of just live in between, between the two places, and uh, I got, put myself in a position to be, to be fit for the game. And you know, Jim felt like he wanted to go with me, so um, you know, I tried tried everything. You know, the week, the days leading up to the game, but it wasn't had hasn't been a great season for me now on a on a personal level. When you look, you know, looking back, what happened last year, but. Listen, as I said, we move on and we we'll look forward again to next year. Sure, the um, the injuries themselves. I guess people were struck by it. The fact that so many different things happen in the concussion, a burst eardrum, and a torn quad, which is pretty spectacular, Mark. It's, it's some way to get injured. Which was the worst? Which was the worst part of that? The worst part definitely was the leg. You see, it, um, you know, once once the concussion healed up and uh, I got a, I got cleared from that. It was just it was trying to get back fit from the the leg, and I, I think it was, uh, you know, I've been told it's if you if you if you tear tear in your hamstring or something, it's a five centimeter wide. Wide deep, um, but my, mine's mine's actually was more. It was only a wee tear, but it was deep. Mine's was into the muscle. Mm. The other one would pull along the muscle. So, um, ah, listen, as I said, I just I did everything I could to be back for it. You know, you're really eager to play. You know, you, you you train back in January and December. You know, January, February for for this time of year. And, you know, I was was gonna you know, put all that work to 
the, the loss. Jim McGuinness, your manager, spoke up about, not specifically just you, but the players' welfare in general was much publicised a couple of weeks ago. Were you, having looked back at the tackle, were you unhappy with the with Stephen Glogley for the challenge he put in? Um, I don't know. There's you know there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of debate over it, and um, it's kind of listen. It's it's like I'm not I'm not going to comment on it and right. to see what happened. Like, but um, you know what? It's, it's, the, the ball was there, and I listen. I left myself wide open, and it was, and uh, you know it just it, the, the tackle came in. As I said, I can't even remember much from the tackle myself. But ha- having looked back at it again, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've looked back on it. I just, I just like I'm not I'm not going to comment on it. Really, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. You know, did he meet it or not? So I'm not really going to comment on it. Did you, did you find, Mark, uh, generally speaking, that the teams you played against, I, I guess every team that wins an All Ireland title has this issue that the sides they come up against are a bit more ready for them. They maybe they're a bit more aggressive. Certainly, they're more prepared. Is that something? Did Donegal's level drop, or did these other teams, Monaghan and Mayo in particular, just step it up a bit? I think they just stepped up. Listen, when 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 like it's the same in any any sport, you're if you're up if you're up in the in the high horse, you you the people want to be, you knock you off basically. And uh, I think you know every team kind of saw what the level we went to last year, and they just said to themselves basically that they had up they had up their games. And you know every 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 team we've come up, <coughs> excuse me, every team we've come up against uh, this year, you know even looking you know Tyrone, they're still in the championship now, and down 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 ran us close, and you know Monaghan then were. You know, a different level again. So, definitely, when you're up there, it's 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 far harder to stay at the top, as you know, as they say in life. But um, listen, we're we're going to have to come back hungrier next year, and I think you know all the boys kind of feel that. And you know, after, after the words in the dressing room were just said afterwards, that no 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 person's going to make a decision about a future or anything like that. You know, between backrooms team and players. So, listen, we'll we'll probably have a meeting in a few weeks' time and just to kind of look back and everything that happened and. Your plan from there. I know I've come across people saying that uh, uh, the, the the way Donegal lost shows that the hype around them, the hype around McGuinness was has been blown apart this year. Which personally, I have to say, I'm not just saying because you're on the line, Mark. I think it's pretty nonsensical. Clearly, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it wasn't a media creation. You guys did achieve what you achieved over the last couple of years. Exactly. Well, listen, we like we we're like another team. We 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 put in the hard hard work, and you know, I think just whatever you know, Jim going to Celtic and then. You know, worried about the Ryder Cup and everything like that with Paul McGinley. It's just it just took it to a new level. In the media, you know, you boys just love hopping and stuff like that. So uh, they kind of they just kind of grasped everything. And you know, the media <clears throat> the media attention around uh, you know Donegal's last what two, you know two or three weeks leading up to the games just they have been you know different level. And I personally didn't do any interviews myself the last number of weeks, and I just I didn't you know want to get involved or anything. But as I said, it's blown blown out of proportion, definitely. But you'll be back next year. Yeah, hopefully I won't, yeah. <laughs> Mark Goodman, hopefully no injuries or anything and good to see you back in the field. Thanks good for talking man. to Thanks us. Thanks very Cheers. much, sorry. Incredible that Mark McHugh doesn't, when you hear of the injuries that he that he got during that game, a couple of things are amazing that he managed to come back and he talked there a little bit about the process of coming back and actually playing a match a few weeks later. But it's always scary when a guy doesn't remember. Yeah. Not yeah, just a few minutes leading up, not just doesn't remember after halftime, doesn't remember anything of the game that he played in up to the point. Yeah, I, I think... Um, when there's an impact like that, maybe it's not that surprising when you say, I don't remember the tackle. But when you actually, there are whole 10, 15 minute chunks of his life gone, lost from his memory. He only remembers the warm up. I mean, I think that that is, that is kind of genuinely scary. And, uh, you know, it's a concussion is a thing in the GA that's, you know, that they're getting around to dealing with. And I think that it's really important that, uh, that the GA stay on top of that because yeah. we have, we've seen quite a few this summer 
and some of them have dealt with very well, very speedily. And then others, you're kind of. I heard like John. Going, I hope everyone is it John Conlon, the Clare player, yeah. who was concussed in a match, and he made a point in a in newspaper interview that he was back training and had more headaches. Now I'm not an expert in it, but just from reading up on it, like that's never good. You know, it's it's and it's also when you've had one concussion, you're more susceptible to having another one, and that's when the problems really begin. So just as long as everyone gets on top of it probably because in fairness to GA they're not the only sport who aren't 100% sure of the best yeah. way forward with these things rugby and lots of other sports have have been trying to work out the best way for a number of years yeah and it kind of speaks to the conversation that we had that, we, that we've had maybe last week about the Jim McGuinness comments and James Horne and all the rest about the increased physicality and Jim McGuinness had concerns about that and it's actually perfectly natural really when you think about it Jim obviously saw up close what happened to Mark McHugh and we made the point last week that the collisions, they're the same as they always were in Gaelic football, but they're just happening at a much greater speed. Well, hang on, the were. players are completely different. That's what I'm saying. Like the, 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 It's happening at a far greater speed, yeah. and the players are much bigger. The collisions Ridiculous. in the game are the same, but it's it's actually it's just happening at far greater speed with far more weight behind them. Yeah. And so it to the outside eye, maybe it looks, gee, the game hasn't changed a whole lot, but it actually has to a huge, huge degree. And as long as they stay on top of it, then we should be fine. But that, it is kind of a concern. Time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series. Brian, how are you keeping this week? Wonderful. It is what? We've got August here. we got the NFL season around the corner, boys. we got a little baseball pennant races, although my team's awful this year, and uh, and the PGA Championship this mm. week. So it's all good. All good, gents. Let's tie up a couple of loose ends from last week. Johnny Manziel, first of all. Brian, we got a great reaction to that chat. Johnny Football, a brilliant yeah. but controversial college quarterback. He's got Since we spoke to you, he's got himself in more bother. Isn't that funny? It's like we were. Uh, it's like the power of suggestion. We we talked about him on the podcast, and boom, he makes even more news. So yeah, and this is ongoing, guys. I mean, this, stay tuned. I mean, we'll be talking about him for the next several weeks, I think, because now, guys, he is being investigated by the NC2AA, which is the uh, governing body of college athletics in the country. The the so called uh, the 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 buzzkills, the suits who run college sports in our country, who have all these very strict, some would say archaic rules about amateurism, and they have investigated Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, for selling his autograph for profit. And now there's even guys, there's even now lately today this week a video, uh, like a like a cell phone video of him in a hotel room signing uh, item after item after item, making allusion to a payments coming his way. I mean, it's, almost, it's like Watergate all over again, you know, or the Iran-Contra scandal, or I mean, you name it. I mean, it's like being treated with such incredible seriousness. And it's kind of sad on a number of levels. One, you know, you'd hate to see this guy's promising football career being derailed almost already after only one year. We talked last week about how he was a freshman when he won the Heisman. 
but also it's bringing up questions too about really what is amateurism in college athletics today. You know, it, we, we, you know, 60, 70 years ago when these amateurism rules were really strident and we truly believed in scholar athletes and student athletes, it was a different ball game. There weren't literally a billion dollars of TV contracts being parsed up by conferences. So now the questions are really like, shouldn't the athletes be getting something out of this other than a scholarship to the school? Old line people are saying, no, you should do the scholarship to the schools enough. And the Johnny Football autograph scandal is only reopening all these questions. You know, should the, should the NC2A profit uh, only, or should Johnny Football be able to sell his autograph? Of course, yeah, that's a long-term question. The short-term is that he could be in very much trouble this fall, guys. We're not even sure it, it, how this turns out, if he's going to be able to get on the football field in the next couple of weeks. He could get suspended. That's one loose end tied up. The other one is Alex Rodriguez, who is definitely not an amateur sports person. In many ways, he's the model professional of certainly of the modern game. Uh, banned for the rest of the season and next for performance-enhancing drug use, although he's still fighting that. He's still out there playing. God, we've gone through how many different ones? We've, we've talked Lance Armstrong. We've talked Barry Bonds. We've talked even Ryan Braun most recently as the guy who was caught lying. But Alex Rodriguez may take the cake of them all because of his prominence of playing for the New York Yankees, because of what has now just been a career-long pattern of narcissism and um, off-putting behavior. He almost has no fans anywhere. Guys, you know, it's one thing about Barry Bonds is, you know, he was reviled in every city in America except for San Francisco because we just kind of saw him as our slugger, our steroid guy. And he never, to, to Barry Bonds' credit, and this is really kind of stretching to say credit, but he never went on an offensive against the media, you know, just stridently proclaiming his innocence. And that's where these guys are running into trouble. Lance Armstrong and Ryan Braun we talked about. But A-Rod, too. You know, and A-Rod now, you know, he, he was busted once before and had to go through his whole mea culpa in 2009. And the fact that he went right back in and started doing it again while serving on the charitable board of an anti-steroid youth foundation just makes this guy come off as one of the biggest two-faced scumbags since Lance Armstrong. But all that said, guys, when he was suspended for a year and a half and through next year, he has the right to appeal it. And, you know, as, as distasteful as it is, people say, you know, you may hate A-Rod and he may be disgusting. He's got to have his day in court, though. And, I mean, I don't think anybody, you know, you'd be kind of denying him his due process if he didn't at least let him take it to an arbitrator. And, guys, his argument is, so there's a bunch of other guys who got caught cheating. that you, They all got 50 games. Why did I get a season and a half, 211 games? And when he frames it, when he frames it that way, he may have an argument. And the arbitrator, which, who may not even rule until the offseason, which means A-Rod could play out the rest of this year while the appeal goes through uh, to the arbitrator. He may have a point. He may get it knocked down. So uh, we shall see. But, boy, his, his public standing has never been lower. Brian, a guy whose public standing seems to be rising again, he's certainly playing great golf, is Tiger Woods. He's the man I really wanted to talk to you about this week. It turns out he has a heart. He's a father who loves his young son, Charlie. Yeah, I know. Isn't it funny? It's like a simple act of... Uh, you know, uh, you know. Of course, he's going to pick up his little boy when he comes running over. But for all of us, it was a memorable and and um, different sight because I think there's a lot of things going in to what happened after he won the World Golf Championship Bridgestone. You guys all know that by now. Of course, he won by seven shots, and now all the buzz. How will he translate into Oak Hill? But we've never seen him hold his son ever. And you know, gosh, what was it? Just uh, three weeks ago at Muirfield. Phil Mickelson had it. He was hugging his entire family, right? That memorable group hug he had with Amy, his wife, and his three grown children 
behind the green at Muirfield. That was a, a, one of the um, sort of the more unforgettable sights of his British Open triumph. But you never see that with Tiger. And, and I think sort of subconsciously that's made us feel – think about him as this kind of robot or automaton that we always think of just this golfing machine who never feels or thinks or cares he blows by autograph seekers he doesn't high-five fans when he walks by them he swears when he hits a bad shot he's always scowling on the course all he talks about is winning majors and then the only time we learn about his personal life we learn he's like one of the great uh, um, philanderers of all time with a hundred different girlfriends cheating on his wife cruelly with two young kids at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that negative stuff kind of stopped for a moment when little Charlie Woods came running over to Daddy. And, you know, guys, for people who thought it might have been overly orchestrated, I don't know, because what had happened was he holed out on 18 and had walked well off the green and behind the grandstands. And what happened was CBS at least in America here, still had extra time on their broadcast, they would have just cut. Usually the tournament ends right at 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, uh, 11 p.m. your time, and it heads straight to, you know, that's the end of the broadcast. Well, they had, the, the tournament ended a little early, so the cameras followed Tiger for about a good three minutes afterwards, and only then did a security guard bring little Charlie Woods over. So it was sort of serendipitous for Tiger's image that this happened, but what happened, guys, was, and I'm sure most people have seen it by now, is not only did he pick him up, but little, the little boy is four, four and a half years old, got a little scared and nervous and kind of clung to his, his tiger's neck like a, like a little koala bear. And for anybody who's a dad or been a little boy in their daddy's arms, it was the most human of moments. And it was like for the first time in ever, maybe since, not ever, but since Tiger Woods cried after winning the 06 British Open after his father's death, we saw him as something other than a scowling, swearing, major-seeking philanderer who gives canned answers in all his press conferences and is unlikable. Guys, for a moment, he was likable. Yeah, and he was his golf game is going along nicely as well, Brian, which ultimately will probably help him restore his image if it hasn't already been restored somewhat. Think he's going to win the USPGA? Oh, gosh, isn't it incredible? I wrote my whole Yahoo Sports golf column on this, and that is the guy has won five stroke play events in ten Stroke play starts this year. This is like this is like intergalactic stuff. I mean, in 2000, that unbelievable year he had, he won nine times in 20 starts. Okay, so that's like, you know, that's from another galaxy. Well, he's on that kind of pace. If he played 10 more events, I mean, he's not going to because the year's running out of time. But if he played 10 more events and won four, he would match that 2001. As it is, his winning percentage clip is even higher than then than it was in 2000, because 5 out of 10 is even better than 9 out of 20, percentage-wise. But, uh, but it, Brian, sorry, yeah. would um, yeah. would kind of the Tiger pre-2008 kind of look at the Tiger of this season and laugh at him a little bit? Because, you know, the Tiger that we know or that we knew in the early years of this millennium was all about the majors, win the majors, and if you don't have the bottle to win a major, then you're not a real golfer, effectively. Uh, so... What we've seen since 2008 is obviously quite a few tour victories for Tiger, but not actually being able to close it out uh, on a major weekend. And as a result, people are saying, well, does he actually have the bottle for it? Which is obviously the most ridiculous question you could ever ask of Tiger Woods kind of before, uh, before all of the Ferrari. It's, it's, that's it. I mean, you've, come, you, you've gotten right to the issue, and it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's a debate. It's, a, it's the classic sportsman's debate, the sports fan's debate. How do you view... Tiger Woods' success. Do you view it as this intergalactically awesome winner who's won five times in ten times this year, 
or do you view him as a guy who can't do what he used to do? He can't win a major. And it's the all-time debate. I mean, it really is how you view sports, what you value out of sports. Do you think he's not a champion because he's only won five times and ten times and none of them was a major? Or do you think, my God, at some point you have to recognize that not only that, but he's won 79 times now on the PGA Tour, which is three shy of Sam Snead's all-time record of 82, a number that doesn't get as much attention as Jack Nicklaus's majors, admittedly because Tiger himself made Jack Nicklaus's majors such an issue. So, I mean, there are so many different ways to look at it. I'm, quite frankly... I'm at the point where I'm just standing in awe of the guy's winning percentage. I mean, the stats have come out that he's won 20, 27% of his starts as a golfer. And Jack Nicklaus, who we think of as the greatest champion of all time, won 12% of his starts. I mean, that's almost, you know, I, I mean, for us, Babe Ruth would be the analogy. You guys must have a, a, a sportsman over there who was so dominant, so far ahead of the game. I don't know, Georgie Best or somebody like that who you think of, and that's kind of where I'm at with Tiger. So can he win the USPGA this week is the question. Absolutely, of course he can. You know, or will he get this performance anxiety he's been getting on weekends? You know, guys, the funny thing is, if you look at his last several majors, he's been in the hunt. That's the crazy thing. I mean, like poor Rory McIlroy, who I love, but I'm, I'm just uh, uh, feeling so sorry for how lost he is on the golf course. He's not in the hunt. He's not contending. Tiger's in the hunt every time. He's always in there on the weekend, and that almost makes you think more than anything that it becomes a mental thing. And the bottle that you speak of is f- actually affecting him. So, yeah, he has to prove that he can get over that ghost, get over that ghost of Jack that seems to be looming in front of him. But do I think he's capable of it? Absolutely. In fact, I still think he's going to break Jack's record. Interesting quirk, Brian. On the final day of this PGA Championship, the public can choose the pin position on the par three. Well, you want to probably do it before the final day, but on the final day, where those players play from on the 15th, par three, 15th hole, will have been chosen for, uh, by, the, by the fans. This is heaven for golf nerds. Have you cast your vote yet? I haven't. If you guys, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, is there is there one where we can just absolutely screw them over completely? Just like, is there a, is there a point where it's like the the top of a ridge and then it goes down? You know, kind of a crest. I want to put a it lake right there. in there, maybe or something. Absolutely, like right in the back shelf. I'm about putting in the bunker. You know, just let's want to hammer these guys. Well, the good news is, I mean, it sounds crazy on the surface, doesn't it? What do you mean the fans are picking? But the four uh, positions that are uh, identified were chosen by Jack Nicholas. Right. So you're, you're choosing one of Jack's four choices. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'd be like, wait a minute, this is like giving a, a seven-year-old the keys to the car, right? You know what I mean? Like, what? You guys don't know where to put a pin? But uh, Jack has done it. And yeah, uh, why not? You know what? I think I will. When, when's the voting end? I'll try to squeeze my vote in, and I'm, I want the hardest damn one possible. We'll have a look at that for you, Brian. Brilliant <laughs> stuff as always. We'll talk to you All next right, week. Guys. Talk to you later. Lovely stuff from Brian there, Murphy. Aside from golf nerds like him, I think the type of people who will be choosing this pin position in the USPGA are the uber golf nerds. Yeah. The kind of guys who call up TV stations when they see Potter Harrington's ball and a dimple on Potter Harrington's ball oscillate. Yeah. yeah. Hello, golfing smart Alec here. Uh, put me through to your uh, your golf department. And, uh, you know, there are people that have done it. And uh, they've, you know, to be honest, those people have even gotten, they they're, they themselves get insulted by the Uber golf nerds. I mean, it's quite strat- it's quite a stratified uh, world in which you're, we're, you're, we're now delving into, the golf nerd. Um, because, you know, we're talking about people boring other people about talking about their kids. I mean... People talking about their golf game. That's a whole other level of boredom, you know? So, I mean, there's, there, that's, and they're the lower level. It just gets, it gets worse the higher up the, the strata you move. There's nothing boring coming up tonight. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. 
Now you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six I'd like to go to the I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. What are you doing down here, you show me, man? It's nice to do now. And we are going to talk um, about a little bit about the moral uh, values uh, that currently uh, obtain in the game. I mean, we've got concepts such as, as loyalty, gratitude, um, you know, trust. Do they, do they have any role? In the modern sport, that's <laughs> you're looking at me somewhat skeptical. I thought we were talking to uh, to David James today. No? We are talking. What's to all David this other James. nonsense you're on about? We're talking to David James as well. Just give us the big name; that'll sell it. David People James. Will listen. We're gonna. We have an interview with David James coming up, but we're also gonna, you know, look into the human heart a little. Yeah. yeah. So mostly David James. I mean, you, you forward sell here. Kid. Come on. Murph, the hurling championship. Oftentimes in sport, when the favourites are all knocked out early, you worry a little bit about the. Last couple of rounds, you get to the semis and everyone's gone. But I think it, I think you got to be pretty pumped about the four teams left. The first semi final this weekend, Cork Dublin. Yeah, I think what you're talking about there, are, you know, World Cups, European Championships, yeah. where well, they only come around every four years, so it's not like you get bored of watching Brazil in a World Cup semi final or final, you know. So, uh, but I think in a yearly competition like the All Ireland Hurling Championship, one, uh, a little bit of fresh blood is exactly what the doctor ordered. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't think we're going to see a diminution in the excitement levels, given we're looking at maybe two seventy thousand plus crowds yep. for all Ireland hurling semi-finals. We don't get them too often. We're joined by Mark Landers and Chrissy O'Connor to talk a little bit about some of the issues surrounding the Dublin Cork semi-final. That's good to talk to you, Mark. I guess first of all, you must be pretty excited about Cork being there this year. I delighted on to be fair. Um, I suppose building on the um, progression from last year, getting to the All Ireland semi-final against Galway. I suppose Cork haven't really been in the latter stages of the championship for a while, and. Jimmy Valley Murphy taking over the team again since 1990-2000. Um, you know, there was a great bit of a uh, buzz around Cork last year and uh, we've, you know, it's great to be back in the semi-final and I suppose more, you know, more that we, we played poorly in the Munster final and recovered against Kilkenny to, to put them out of the championship, which is the first time, I think, in 17 years that they haven't been in all of the semi-final. So it gives us a great old boost going into the match on Sunday. Yeah, Jimmy Barry Murphy seems to be the only manager who looks younger and less stressed out as the years go on. You know about uh, about him being less stressed out, and because uh, like he would openly admit to being an intercounty manager back in '99 and being an intercounty manager in 2012 are two different places altogether. Right. He said that, that the whole thing has moved on altogether, and I suppose with multimedia and you know you know everybody knowing exactly what's happening in every county at the moment is is dramatic. But you know I suppose look, it's good for the game and so far that the levels have risen, the expectations have risen and uh, I suppose the quality of play has also risen as well. Christy, is there an opportunity here for either Cork or Dublin and I have to say I find it's a really hard match to call, for either of these teams to get into an All-Ireland final, a very winnable All-Ireland final either side will feel if they get there and potentially become, and this is relevant maybe to all the four teams, become the, the new team, the emerging team who could actually go on to, to be the top dogs for a while. Yeah, look, that's a very fair point, Owen, but I think, look, at any of the four teams now will look at it and we'll see this as a glorious opportunity that they might not get again. You know, so if you look at this year's championship, you know, apart from the obvious of, you know, so many breakthrough teams and so many shocks and so many quality games, but a lot of teams are going to go into the championship next year, the likes of Waterford, you know, Clare, Limerick, Dublin, um, you know, believing that they will get better and they will get stronger, you know, younger players coming through. Kilkenny, of course, you know, they're may not be the force they were but you know they'll come back Tip will come back um, you know I think you're going to have a lot more competitive pack and you you know you just look at it like from say a Munster perspective 
you know, you could meet a big gun in a semi-final next year, be gone, and you, then you could meet a shark in a qualifier early and be gone early. So, like, and that that's the, the case for any of those four teams that are left at the moment. So, you know, I think as well as, um, you know, getting the confidence that teams will, you know, obviously get from this year and getting to a final will be massive. But, you know, you look at Galway this year when they got to a final last year and they didn't kick on, and maybe Galway would have, might have felt that, you know, you know, if Kilkenny and Tip are out of the equation, that the door was open for them. So, like, there's no guarantees, and especially the way I know, you know, um, strength and conditioning and what have you. If you're not, you know, stepping it up a level every year, you know, teams will catch up on you. So, while yeah, I would say a glorious opportunity, um, you know, the, all four teams will will believe or will feel that you know they need to take it because, you know, okay, the likes of Clare and Limerick are coming with young teams, but there's absolutely no guarantees. You know, when you don't have that tradition that the likes of Kilkenny and Tip Cork have, it's harder when you get up there to maybe stay there, as you know, we've seen in the past, like a lot, you know, Limerick haven't won it since 73, Clare now since 97, Dublin since, you know, middle of the last decade, so, or last century, so, <laughs> you know, these counties, when they get a chance, they really, really have to make a... We could imagine that Dublin will fail, I, I would say, Mark, that if they can shut down Patrick Horgan somehow, that they might have half a chance here of shutting down the entire Cork team. Are they quite reliant on Horgan? They certainly seem to be the last time out. Well, uh, I suppose, certainly, he has been doing the majority of the scoring from a Cork point of view this year, both from play and from freeze. Um, I think his placement of full forward has given an extra dynamic to his own game. Um Cornerbacks were able to out, I think, on the corner, and he was getting a limited supply of ball in the corner forward. But see, since he has moved to full forward, he is getting a bigger supply of ball, and I'd say a better quality ball as well. But, you know, he's going to have his hands full with, with, with Peter, Kelleher, Peter Kelly, full back for Dublin, uh, defending players, and probably the full back of the championship, along with Shane O'Neill this year from a Cork point of view. But uh, Mark Joe Kenny, the last, and didn't give him a sniff until the final. Um, you know, I suppose there was an awful lot of talk about Pat Hogan going into the match against Kilkenny because he was suspended in the Leinster final or sorry, Munster final and I think rightly had the red card rescinded. But Pat is a good player. Um, you know, he's a he's a quality striker of the ball. Um but like we are to a certain degree reliant on him. But like we have young lads like Seamus Hamavy, Connell Lehan and um Luke O'Fell who on their day, if they get a, if they get correct ball play to them, can be match winners on their own right. And then you have the likes of um, Patrick Patrick Cronin and Daniel Kearney, who are their skins this year, and they hit a lot of points the last year. So, you know, we're not a one-man team by imagination, but I do think that Patrick Hogan is a key player, and, you know, for Cork to win on Sunday we will have to get a major return out of him. He's an interesting kind of a character, I think, Christy. I know he trains obsessively. I guess you have to do, particularly if you're a free taker and if you're a scorer for your team. But uh, he also was quite impressive in how he handled that pressure that Mark talks about uh, leading into the Kilkenny game. Is he the key man for Cork, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Like, If you look at Cork on, you know, over the last couple of years, like there was a kind of a key, you know, I suppose... Um, Key group in an age bracket, we say, you know, mid 20s that have been around for a while, Paddy O'Sullivan, Pat Cronin, Horgan, you know, guys like that, Shane O'Neill, like that, you know, I suppose really needed to step up. The older crew had kind of moved on. And, um, you know, I definitely Horgan has, has taken it on to another level. But I suppose, you know, you, the one thing, if you look at Horgan and look at his, at his stats and his play counts, like we'll say, they're never actually that high, like we say, and that was, the, I suppose, the, the, one of the, 
the arguments I've made after the Munster final was if you look at um, the trends of Cork, we'll say, and especially in the second half, the forwards are never on the ball probably you know as, as much as they probably should be, and um, you know say like Horgan was on the ball nine times against Clare when when Cork were absolutely dominant. He was on the ball five times in the first half against Limerick when you know you would think he he was on it more, but you know he was never likely to be on the ball a whole lot more in the second half. So and I would have felt that you know people say about Cork didn't play well in the Munster final, but you know I would say that Limerick didn't play that well either, and like. Um, you know, like the Limericks, given the strength of their bench, were always going to win that game. So, um, yeah, to, to go back to your initial question, I would say that, yeah, he's played well, but I still think he can play a bit better because if you look at Horgan, his economy is devastating, but probably should be on the ball a bit more. And, um, you know, if he is, like, it's like, you know, with, as Mark said about Luke O'Farrell and Lehan and these boys, like, they're very, very streaky players. And, like, these, you know, like, you, you could argue that Conor Lehan hasn't really played well since, you know, middle of the league last year. But like you know, there was a stage there against Kilkenny where you know he had been on the ball for half an hour, got three balls and mm. had three shots of the target in the space of two minutes. So these type of guys that could take off, but you just feel that if Cork can get the ball to their strike forwards more often, that they definitely capable of doing a bit more damage. Now I would feel that they're going to struggle a bit in that um, on Sunday because physically, like Dublin are very very dominant around the middle. And, and this comes back to the point, Chris, that I was making earlier on. It that it depends an awful lot on the quality of ball that is coming into the cock forwards. Like I'd love to say that we'd have a Walsh or Welsh or we'd have a Henry Shefflin, but we don't have that kind of player inside in our forward line. Our forwards need good quality fast ball spread and spread out the Dublin defence because if we start crowding the defence, we saw that against Limerick when our half back line and midfield started striking in high ball to our forwards. The Limerick, they, like the likes of Richie McCarthy and Tom Condon and these, they just swallowed up the ball and flicked it back up the field. So yeah. the quality of ball coming into our forward line is critical on Sunday. Just on, a, a lot yeah. of that too depends on, I suppose, you know, it's like everything, you know, the quality of ball in the modern game when you have two or three guys hanging out here, you've, that's you know, right. like that, that's, that's what, what, what Cork have to contend with. But I will say that Harnady has made a massive difference to Cork this year and without a doubt has been the, the find of the championship. And if you look at his play count and his productivity like he's been absolutely brilliant he definitely the most undervalued player in the championship for me so far just on Dublin lads the way they've come back from what happened last year and it didn't look too promising for them earlier this season they've a manager who's been there quite a few years at this stage Chrissy albeit a very charismatic manager who guys want to play for I have to say I had my doubts it's just a lot of teams reach the natural end of their cycle and that's just that and everybody has to go their separate ways and refocus but the players wanted Daly to stay on he got some of them some of their key guys to stay at it as well and the rewards seem to have been fairly certainly up to now have been fairly impressive Yeah absolutely and there's a good friend of mine Paul Madden who's actually um, he's a manager of the Temple Gate Hotel in Ennis and um, he was telling me um, after the the Clare Dublin game last year that the Dublin boys they actually based themselves in the hotel before and they walked up to the pitch nearby walked back and he said he'd never in his life seen devastation like it after a match. They were absolutely broken and I think one of the reasons the players were so broken was they thought that was that was it. They thought Dalo was gone and he wouldn't be back. And I suppose look at there was that lingering concern all summer on, you know, was he going to come back? Now he would have felt himself that, you know, maybe they got a bit slack. You know, maybe they just felt that what had happened in or what they'd done in the pre- previous year, two thousand eleven, you know, was going to work in, in two thousand and twelve and it didn't. Um I would say with Dublin you know, maybe the penny has dropped at a few of these guys. Um, you know, even if you look at their physicality and their intensity and their aggression levels, I think, you know, they're finally playing to a level that maybe, you know, Daly has, has wanted them to play with because, you know, like, um, they have a lot of physique and physicality. Maybe with Dublin, you felt they didn't always use it. Um, 
And I suppose, look at, you know, if you look at the, the team from the Leinster final, his first year in 09, right, there's still a fair, like you're talking about 10 of that team are still around, though, right? So there's an awful lot of experience. Um, you know, and like, you know, I suppose, you know, that is eventually going to tell. And I suppose the one point I would make in terms of daily and Sunday is, you know, the clear experience for him is going to be massive because, you know, you go back to clear 95 and, you know, similar to Dublin, you know, a huge provincial breakthrough. You know, the easy thing would have been to do to take the foot off the gas, celebrate, go bananas, and maybe pass up the chance for an All-Ireland that, you know, they mightn't get again. So, like, like Lochnam was absolutely ruthless after Munster Final 95. Like, he stopped, like, four clear players, Eamon Taff, Ollie. Frank Lowe and Fergal Hagerty from playing in a Munster the 21 final and there's still people in Clare who haven't forgiven Lochnan for that um, you know and he was absolutely ruthless he wanted to win that All-Ireland and I think Daly as well from what I can gather you know like Savage the, the panel the week after the, the Leinster finally felt a few of them were gone slack like and if you talk to any of the Dublin players now like even the week after the Leinster final they were completely and utterly focused on the All-Ireland they're not happy with the Leinster title and I think Daly's experience from you know that week Clare is going to be massive on Sunday and going to be massive going forward because you know, as I said, he he realizes and he knows. You know, okay, hopefully we'll get better for them, but there are no guarantees. And I would feel myself if Dublin can keep their heads. You know, I'd fancy him to win on Sunday. I'd fancy him to, to maybe win the All Ireland because oh, okay. they have what a lot of other teams don't have is real, real experience and hard physicality. Mark, are you going against that? Do you think Cork will win? No, I I agree a lot with a lot of what Christy is saying there. Um, like Dublin certainly are the fittest and the strongest team that we have seen in the championship this year. Also, the fact that they have a national league and a Leinster championship won, they're now, if you want to call them experienced, they're probably the, the most experienced team left in the championship in South Africa. Cork have absolutely nothing won. They have uh, Tom Kenny with a Munster medal and an All-Ireland medal and nothing else. They were defeated uh, league champions last year, uh, you know, got a hammering from, from Kilkenny. And you look at the other two teams in Clare, they have a lot of underage success. And Limerick have very little success themselves. So, I suppose Dublin are the most experienced team left, but I think from a hurling point of view, the one thing that will stand to Cork is I think they have tradition. They are stick work. I, I would expect maybe marginally better than Dublin's, but if they'll be allowed to show those skills on Sunday, uh, they have a good chance of winning. But I would say that I think if this game will go down to the last 20 minutes, I think Dublin will probably outrun outrun Cork to a certain degree. All right, Mark, listen, great stuff, Mark Landers. And also thank you, Chrissy O'Connor. Uh, it looks like people are leaning a little towards Dublin here, Murph. But I'm quite taken by Chrissy's comment earlier on there that <laughs> Clare folk have not forgiven Gerlach Nan mm. for 95. Yeah, it's not like he, he may have led them to the All Ireland <laughs> final for the first time, and All Ireland title indeed, for the, and a monster for the first time in about 100 years. Yeah. Banished some curse or other. Yeah. That's not enough, though. He didn't. There was another 31 for the There, 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 was, there, there, there yeah. was, and uh, he blew it. So, yeah, I mean, it is quite odd. I mean, if you're on the under 31 team that year, and Gerlach Nan pulls the four best players from your team out of that, I can see you'd be a little upset. Everyone else, I'd be inclined to... There are some lads, there are some 37-year-old Clare men listening to this now going, I'm still annoyed that I pull their best players out of Proper order, too. I mean, I was Munster medal in my arse pocket if it wasn't for that. Who are Loch Nan? We're just about done for Second Captain's Classic, Second Captain's Football coming up a little bit later on. But do check us out on Twitter at Second Captains and follow us on Facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.